Amen. How many of you need faith? I do. I think we all do, and, and uh, there are times in life it seems like we need it more than ever. Amen. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue our study on marriage and what the Bible says about the home. And so in Ephesians 5, we're going to look in verse 21. We'll pick up there and read down through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 5, verse number 21 is where we'll be. The Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let your wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Father, in the name of Christ, I would ask that you would give us the things that we have need of today. Speak to our hearts. We thank you for the joy of worshiping you in song, and, and thank you for the fellowship we have together here. Do in our hearts, I pray, Lord, through this message, that which you would do, and we'll give you the praise. Certainly be grateful, Lord. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Last week, we discussed um, how that we have to submit ourselves one to another. There are often repeated commands for a wife to submit to her husband and a husband to love her wife, but before we can ever have the ability to fulfill those assignments that God gives us, there are some things given us in those preceding verses that we must do that lay the foundation for what he gives us in verse 22 and following. We're to be separate from sinful influences. No man who entrenches himself in the world can honestly love his wife because, you know, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. First John chapter 2. So you can't love your wife properly if you love the world at the same time because it's through loving God that God reciprocates that love and allows us to love our mates. And it's the same for the wife. We're to be spirit-filled. It is the Holy Spirit of God that enables us. He gives us the energy to invest in each other. He gives us the strength that sustains us through the storms of life that come. He gives us the, the love and the ability, the discernment, to see beyond the flaws that we all have and to love each other, especially in marriage. We're to be singing 
Our attitude counts. It's, we're to be happy Christians. Our home is not to be a place that is morose. It's not to be a, a place of, of uh, uh, depression and negativity. Which let, the, let the people of the Lord, uh, the Bible says we, we're to say so. We're to be happy or that people whose God is the Lord. We're to be submissive to one another. It's through that yielding of ourselves to each other. It is the giving of ourselves willingly to each other that brings us to a point to where we're able to become the, the home that we should be, not self-centered, which is the enemy of all marriages. And so the reality that we discovered last week is that being a, a, having a good marriage really comes from being a good Christian. That's really what it's all about. If you want to be a good uh, husband, a good wife, you have, to, you have to be a good Christian. And that's, I think that's vitally important. It's our relationship with God. And it's the filling of His Spirit in our life, meaning he, he consumes who we are. That helps us learn to love each other as we're supposed to. Christopher Lotch made a statement that I think is a good one. He said this in describing marriage. He said, marriage is two flawed people coming together to create a space of stability, love and consolation, a haven in a heartless world. That's a great statement. Our home should be a haven. It should be a place of rest. It should be a place of safety. It should be a place to where we find acceptance and affirmation. That is what the home should truly be. It's a tragedy that the world is so fragmented in its understanding of what a true biblical home is. And it's no wonder we're in the mess that we are today. It's no wonder. Now, I, I, I'm not, this is no attempt at being controversial, and I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to give a rerun of Fox News, but I'm just going to tell you, if you'll study, if you'll study the rate of, of fatherless homes in our nation you'll find out how we got where we are. We're in a mess. Do you know why? Because our homes are in a mess. That's, that's why we're where we are. It's our, it's our homes. It's our institutions. We, history doesn't mean anything to us anymore. And so we have people that are absolutely ignorant of our history, and so they're, 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 they're destroying you know everything I, I said. I said not long ago. It would seem to me, uh, it would seem to me that that um, we're we're going downward. We're in a downward trend, and uh, we need to apply the principles of the Word of God. Stanley Harwas made this statement. He said, uh, "I think it's a very significant point." He said, "We never know whom we marry. We just think we do, or even if we first marry the right person and just give it a while, and he or she will change." For the marriage being the enormous thing it is means we are not the same person after we've entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom we find ourselves married. What he's saying there is just simply this. When we enter into marriage, sometimes it's with, a, it's with an image in our mind. This is what marriage is going to be, and we'll live happily ever after. That works good in Disney movies. But it doesn't always play out in life. You, you wake up and find that your knight's shining armor has greatly tarnished. 
And you find out that your princess doesn't smile all the time and little bluebirds don't fly around her hair. Reality sets in and you discover that the relationship doesn't make you as happy as it once did at the beginning. Now, I want to say to our newlyweds right here, that does not have to happen. What we're talking about here is the norm. People get married, marriage becomes dull, bills set in, children come, we lose focus on each other, and suddenly the thing that we walk to a wedding altar so thrilled and so happy about, it all begins to disintegrate. And the reason it disintegrates is not because marriage isn't real. It disintegrates is because we're not willing to put the time and effort into making marriage a success. I just want to tell you, don't, 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 don't be the norm. Don't let marriage become old. Don't let the love that you have now begin to die out. And even when children come, use your marriage to exhibit before your children the great love that God intends for a man and wife. And, and it's, it's, it's very important. Some people may be thinking, what happened to the person I thought I was marrying? What happened? They've changed physically. Well, you have too. They changed emotionally. Well, you have too. The reality of the matter is, it's so easy for us to spot the changes in our mate while thinking that we have stayed the course. No, we haven't. Years ago, I was in a wedding, and the pastor stood before a young couple, and he said to the young man, he said to him, do not change her. And I thought to myself, if you don't, your marriage will fail. There's no flexibility. If there's no give, if there's no change, your marriage cannot survive. It cannot succeed. Are you kidding me? Susie and I are going on 45 years of marriage, and you don't think she's changed me? She snaps. I say, yes, ma'am. That's changed. No, the reality is we look at each other and we talk and we laugh and rejoice and we celebrate in the changes that we have brought into each one's life. And that's what God intends for marriage. It's God's purpose in it. He makes another observation Mr. Harwas does. He says, listen to this carefully, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find that right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Well, that's great, isn't it? I married the wrong person. You know what he's saying? Compared to the person you thought you were marrying, that ain't him. Compared to the person you thought you were marrying, she's not her. It's not the person we're, we change. We have to learn to adapt to those changes. We're never exactly who 
our mates are never exactly who we thought they are. Now, I want to make a note for you that's important. Okay, stay with me. And the note is this, that if you marry within the will of God, would you please just hear that? If we marry within the will of God, that means we allow God in our life, the spirit-filledness, to help us make the proper choice. Listen carefully to me. Then the person you marry can actually become more than you thought they were. It's not that you say, that ain't who I thought I was marrying. I'm disappointed. No, no, it could be she's more than I thought she was. I knew this about Susie Hillman when I walked down the aisle at, at Bethlehem Baptist Church, August 8, 1975, John Bonds was standing there waiting to marry her. I knew one thing, and I, we had talked, and it, but, you know, I just I thought she looked great. You know, I just, man, I was, the first time I saw her at a basketball game, she sat in front of me, and this, I'm being honest, this is the truth. When I saw her, I thought, where have you been? That's exactly what I thought, where have you been? Well, she was engaged to a guy, and they haven't found his body uh, yet. And she was engaged to this guy. I didn't know that, so I followed her out, and I stood out there. We began to talk and, and uh, uh, chat a little bit. And from that point on, I stalked her around campus, you know. I would sit so I could watch her come through the door. I'd take my tray up so I could walk by her table. And uh, we had it all set up. Finally, she broke up with this guy, yes, and, and uh, after I spread rumors about him. And, and so uh, she broke up with him, and, and she came back to school, and my buddy set it up, and we went out, and I knew one thing. When she walked down there, I thought, she's the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. I just was in love with what I saw. But I'm being real honest with her, being transparent. I'm not trying to embarrass her. Sometimes I, I'm amazed because I think to myself, Whew, I had no idea as an ignorant 19-year-old kid what God was giving me that day. And she's the best Christian that I've ever known in my life. And, and, and so I, I want you to know, I want you to know that when he says you marry the wrong person, what he's saying is it's not the person that you thought they were. That could be a good thing. We all mature. We all grow. We should. We all become better people. We all develop our walk, not just with the Lord, but through that we develop our walk with each other. And we learn, we learn the things that make us happy and the things that make us sad, and that impacts the way that we uh, converse and, and the way that we live together. And so here we are. The couple oftentimes is love-struck at the altar, and they pledge their life to one another. And yet if you're not careful and you become selfish, remember, submitting yourselves to one another. If you live for yourself, then you develop a cynical view of the person you're married to. And she says, are you kidding me? I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll submit to him when he becomes a leader and earns my fellowship. That's what it means to follow. I will follow him when I think he's really become a leader. And, 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 and he says, well, of course I love her, but I've got needs too. She's not concerned about my needs. She's not concerned about what makes me happy. 
Every time I want to buy something, she fusses and fights about it. She's griping about all the time that, that, that I'm going. So, so yeah, I, I do love her, but, but, but you know what? I'm just not, not going to waste any more energy there. And we become cynical to people that we're married to. It's called an impasse. Nobody goes anywhere. No forward progress. We're stuck in a rut just trying to survive. And can I, can I help you? By, by reminding you that that is absolutely not what God intended marriage to be. And if you're there, you're not where God wants you to be. Listen, if that's where you're at, you're out of the will of God. You're just absolutely out of the will of God for your life and your marriage. If your home is fighting, fussing, bickering, griping, arguing at each other's throats all the time. And I could lose people over this. But you know what? I didn't come here to gain people. I came here to preach truth. So I'm just going to be real honest with you. If that's what your home is like, I'm going to suggest something, and that is that the two of you grow up. Because marriage, somebody said, is the last best chance for us to grow up. Preacher, what about you? Well, I had a lot of growing up to do. If you took a box of dirt and set it here on this podium, that's about my IQ level when I was 19 years old and got married. I was dumber than dirt. I mean, really, I, I didn't. I mean, I had a good home. I had a mom and dad. But I, I, I didn't know really how to have a family. So I'm just saying what happens is we move from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. And we're never truly happy because marriage takes a huge, capitalize every one of those letters, a huge investment. You, you'll never get to the place to where you say, my wife is more than I thought she was. My husband is more than I thought he would. You'll never get to that place without a lot of hard work, tears, blood, sweat, investment. Marriage isn't easy. Marriage is two individuals that are trying to harmonize within God's will. Let me give you several points, and then I'll tie a knot in this. First of all, authenticity precedes trust. I want you to listen to me. Because trust is the foundation upon which every relationship must be built. If you can't trust your mate, you have a poor relationship. Listen to me. Authenticity precedes trust. Before you can trust people, there has to be, there has to be authenticity. You have to be authentic. For somebody to trust you. Years ago, it was popular at balls. People would have balls. That's not something you dribbled like they do today. This is something you went to. So you go to a ball, and it was a costume ball. And so these people would go, and they would all wear masks. Everybody was dressed up in different outfits, and they all had masks, you know. You know, I've always wondered. Let me just chase a rabbit. Are you kidding me? Clark Kent takes his glasses off, puts on some tights, and people say, 
Who is Superman? Dude, he's Clark Kent. Look at his face. Okay, never mind. Anyhow, I'm just saying, I mean, come on, obvious. That's Clark Kent in tights. But anyhow, so they would wear these masks to the balls, and then they would talk with people. They would dance, and they would, they would eat together. They would have this big party, and they just lived it up. And they're all behind this, you know. They're all talking to each other and having this great time. Then at midnight, the striking of the chime of midnight, all of a sudden, it was customary to take the mask off. And so now here you are, you're, you're exposed before everybody. It's the real you. And so these people that you've been talking to that they did not know your identity, uh, all of a sudden, uh, there, there you are. And, and like Cinderella, the chimes of the midnight hour, they take away the facade and the glitter, and, 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 and you're standing there unfiltered. For everybody to see that you've been talking to. Sounds like Judgment Day, doesn't it? Sounds like marriage. Because you go down the aisle and you get married and everything's great. Boy, it's wonderful. I mean, look, you're chivalrous. You're, You're opening the door for her. A year later, she better grab the door herself or she can get her hand cut off. You know what I'm saying? You forget those things. Take the tray up. You dress up a little bit to go out. You're complimentary. You want to spend time together. But suddenly the mask comes off. Listen carefully. And the real you is absolutely exposed. Marriage brings two people closer together than any other relationship that can bring them. The parent and child is close. But the parent can easily discard the child. Make like a tree and leave. You know what I'm saying? You're young. You don't have enough sense to figure this out. Skedaddle. Parents can do that all the time. Georgia does it to Johnny Q frequently. But anyhow, so, so that can happen. Or the child can say, well, mom and daddy just don't understand me. So they just dismiss the parent. But, but husband and wife, there, there, there is such a closeness there. It, it is inescapable. And by the way, it's, it's more so than people that cohabitate together. Because here's the deal. When you cohabitate together, there's no strings attached. You have no claims on each other. And so if you don't like it and it don't work out, you go your way, she goes her way, we gave it a try. But with marriage, with marriage, there's an investment there. And, and, and so what, what happens is we're forced to deal with the flaws of one another. If you're undisciplined, if you're filled with anxiety or opinionated or proud or demanding or unreliable or you're sulky or you're disorganized or temperamental or moody or harsh or, or maybe you're judgmental and cynical and critical or impatient, guess who knows it? Your spouse knows it. If anybody in the whole wide world knows you as you really are, it's your spouse. They know everything about it. You can put the dog on for everybody else. You know, putting the dog on, you know what I'm talking about? You, you can put it on for everybody else. You can come to church and say, God bless us, thou pastoreth. That's a wonderful message. And you can just speak in the king's English. And you can look great and then step out the door and you can just be as mean as a rattlesnake. Your wife knows. Your mate knows better than anybody in all the world. And so we have to deal with the flaws. Now, here's the deal. 
these character flaws that we've got, that we all have, hello, they, they disrupt other relationships, but they kill marriages. If I'm harsh and impatient, it may get on Sean's nerves, but Sean gets to go home and leave Pastor Fake behind. But my harshness and my impatience sooner or later will eat away at my marriage. So I'm saying, I'm saying of all places where, where there has to be authenticity, We've got to be real in the home. And we are real. And, and what we have to do is we have to be able to listen and to face the faults that we have. You're not as good as you think you are. And you don't get to grade your own report card. That's not up to you. You don't get to say, I got straight A's. On what? On being a husband. Wow, Dean, that's amazing. Who gave you those A's? Well, I did. Well, that don't count. Because I ain't married to me. Okay, I'm married to her. So she gets to grade me. Okay. That's why I say nice things about her in messages in hopes of getting a better report card. I'm not stupid. So the reality of the matter is simply this. We have to be so authentic that we are willing to listen to the one person that knows us better than anybody in the whole wide world. Susie, tell me about me. What is, it, what is it that makes you most unhappy? I, I, like the thing about the death. Maybe we ought to reverse those questions. What is it that you don't like about me? You got the guts to ask that. Guts is not a good word. Intestinal fortitude. Obliterate that from the tape. Anyhow, I'm just saying, I'm saying do, do you have the guts to ask your mate, what irritates you? You probably already know, don't you? That's why you're not going to ask. Now, we can help each other if we will, if we're willing to do that and be honest. Um, marriage doesn't create weaknesses in a person. It reveals them. When I had cancer surgery, September will be eight years ago, the reality of the matter is the doctor said, you've got cancer, and the next thing I said was, let's get it. Let's go. Let's get it out. I wasn't mad at the doctor. And so they cut me and stapled me. And I won't even go into that, but anyhow. So rather than using the glue, they used staples. I think they bought them at, at uh, anyhow. Uh, I don't know. But I hated it. But anyhow, so you, you, you got all that going. But you know what? I'm glad they did that. He revealed something to me. Hey, Dean, you've got cancer. I wish you wouldn't have told me that. It caused me a lot of problems. No, it saved my life. It saved my life. So when something is revealed to us, it's not to cause us pain. It's to help us become... God puts your mate in your life to help complete you. To help make you a better person. Because she or he is the one person that can say honestly, you need to work on this, man. You, you need to work on this. <laughs> I write an article for the Baptist Times, and I'll write the article, and I'll read it, I'll read it to Susie before I send it off. Sometimes she'll say, uh, Dean, I think you need to tone that down a bit. 
you know. I used to write for a newspaper in Georgia, and, and I, was, I was tackling current issues and things like that. And, man, I was, I was right, you know, I'm conservative, so I'm not ashamed of that. And uh, Jimmy Carter was president back then, so I was, I was writing things in the newspaper, and Susie would say, oh, man. And uh, anyhow, probably should have listened to her some of those times. It would have saved me some, some stuff in the paper. But, but, but nonetheless, I'm just simply saying um, your, your wife, God didn't bring her into your life to hurt you. He brought her to help you. Clinton Wallace told me I had cancer. He did that to help me. Susie Herring at times tells me, Dean, I don't think that's squared up. And so I can bounce it off of her, and she's helped bring me to the place uh, to where I am. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for that. I, I want to just tell you that the more that we deal in reality and truth, the more we trust. Our life should be an open book. Everything you do, listen to me carefully, Everything you, you, you know, do you know why affairs happen? Affairs happen because there are parts of our life we do not grant access to. Every friendship, every social networking, every device you own should be an open road for your wife to see at any time, any place. My phone's on the back table with Calvin and Diana. If you can't leave your phone laying around, you got problems. I had somebody, the wife come to me, she said, my, my husband, he, he guards his phone. I can never see his phone. You got trouble. You, you, got, you got trouble in your marriage. Trust comes from Authenticity. And, and I want to just say this. If there's somebody here that gets mad over what I just said, you got a problem. I know you have a problem. God knows you have a problem. And, and sooner or later, we won't be the only ones that know you have a problem because it will come out. Well, don't you trust me? No, she shouldn't unless you've earned it. In fact, let me just quote God to you. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. A scripture. So the reality of the matter is I shouldn't trust me. It's safe for Susie to have full access to every single area of my life. And why would I not want her to have? Second thing I want to say to you is this. Accountability, so authenticity precedes trust. Accountability produces trust. So let me give you a, let me give you a verse of Scripture, right? Uh, a couple of verses. First Corinthians chapter 7, um, verse 3 and 4 says this, Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Now, I understand the intimate context in which that scripture is given. However, what that is teaching us primarily is the fact of authority. And the authority is this. Susie has authority over Dean. Dean has authority over Susie. Susie can veto anything that Dean's doing. Dean can veto anything that Susie's doing. The reality of the matter is, when we come to a wedding altar, we hand over to our mates uh, uh, the authority over who we are, 
and should never do anything that creates jealousy or anxiety or a lack of trust in one another. That's what that scripture teaches. I didn't write that. God did. But I'll tell you one thing. I've seen a lot of marriages that it could have saved had, had that been, uh, had, had that been uh, adapted into life. Because when you get married, when you get married, you're no longer single. Yesterday before 4 o'clock, Leah and, and, and Tim both, they were single. Today, that's gone. That's gone. It's gone. Tim can't do everything he wants to do now. He's got a wife he, he's accountable to. Leah can't do everything she wants to do. He, he, she's got a husband she's accountable to. Tim can't spend his money every way he wants to now. Because there's, there's a submission. I mean, I mean, he can go out and do it, but why would he? If there's, if there's a, a co-submission. I'm not going to go out and in, 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 in blow... Uh, money. I'm not. I'm, there's all these things I do that I want to do, and she does too. But I'm just simply saying I'm not going to go go into go into say life savings and 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 buy some huge thing without conferring with her. Why? Because we're mutually submissive to each other. Now I understand what you get in most Baptist churches. It's the thumping of the hand, the pounding of the feet. Wife's being submission. Bawana, big man. He's in charge and. And, and you know what? Go to Proverbs 31 and you won't find that in the virtuous woman. It's, it's, she's to submit as the church does to Christ. Jesus doesn't beat the church down. He doesn't scream at the church. He leads the church. And, and, and when, when the Bible says, ma'am, you submit to your own husband, you know what he's talking to? He's giving the responsibility to fellowship first. Here's your responsibility. You submit to him. First, first thing God said, well, you know what? He doesn't then turn to the husband and say, if she doesn't submit, yell at her. Son, pitch a fit. Now, you're the head of this house, and you ought not be roosting at the foot of the bed, okay? I want you king of the roost. God doesn't say that. You know the reality of the matter is? If she doesn't submit to me, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't do anything about it. If she doesn't want to submit to Dean, I can't do anything about it. Now, I can make an ugly scene, but that's not going to help anything. Okay? Well, preacher, what would you do? I'd just go ride my Indian. Everything would be fine. But anyhow, I'm just saying, so, so if I don't love her, what can she do? Nothing. She can't do anything about it. Threatening ain't going to do it. Raising your voice ain't going to do any good. Pounding your fist ain't going to do anything good. Look. The, the submission and the love are voluntary. She submits to me because she wants to. I love her because she's beautiful. Anyhow, so that's, that's why we do that. So, so there's accountability, and it produces trust. And, and if I surrendered ownership to my wife and she surrendered ownership to me, then there is there's a measure of accountability. Now, we both have our, we both have our areas of life in which we do, you say, preacher, just listen to me. I'm not setting our marriage up as the example. I'm setting up what we've learned from the Word of God. And let me just help you with this. We're still working on this. We're still a work in progress. You have a perfect marriage? Absolutely not. I sure don't. You get irritated with each other. Yes, leave my tools alone. Anyhow, let's don't start. Don't start. So, 
So yes, yes, there, there are things, there are things we've learned areas in which this is her area, this is my area, this is our area. We've learned to respect each other in certain areas and we've worked through those things. But we're a work in progress. And so are you. I don't care how long you've been married, you're still working on marriage. I don't care how deeply you love each other, wait till tomorrow. Something's going to happen and it's going to irritate you. You can say, I ask you not to do that. Why did you do that? Well, honey, I didn't hear you. Hey, listen, let me help you with this. Listen, it's wonderful when you're hearing it start going out, you know. It's great, man. Neither one of us know what we're saying to each other. Things we used to say that cut each other don't even bother us anymore because we can't hear them. It's amazing. No, the reality of the matter is, is that, that, that that mutual submission helps you learn and helps you work. Just don't quit working on each other, helping each other, advancing each other, expressing love to each other. And then I'll give you this last of all, and this is important. Because I've said everything to come here. we just got a few minutes, but I want you to get this. Affirmation preserves trust. What is affirmation? It's, 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 it's where you build each other. Rather than finding all the flaws that you may have done in the past, it's getting to a place to where you encourage. Everybody comes into marriage with a self-image. Where do we get our self-image? From the verdicts. Okay, listen carefully. We get our self-image from the verdicts that other people have passed on us. Okay? Your daddy said you were good for nothing. Um, You had a school teacher that told you you were stupid. I sympathize with you. Anyhow. She broke a rule over my head, third grade. Never have recovered. But anyhow, let's get away from that. I have a plaque on this principal's office with my name on it. Not really, but anyhow. So the principal, by the way, had come from Dachau. But so maybe it was an aunt that made you feel like you were on top of the world. Or a friend that in the darkest days of your life encouraged you to press on. Nobody has the power to affect how we look on ourselves as our mates do. Your dad may have said, you're good for nothing, but if you've got a husband that says, baby, you're the best, you can get beyond what your daddy told you. It, it, it may be that you had a teacher that said, well, you, you know what, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just dumb. They used to do that in those days, you know. When I was in school, they paddled you. Good night, they can't do that now. And, and so, so, I mean, we, we had all that. You know, you, you're not the smartest kid. I've got report cards that they sent my mother. Dean is a good child, but he talks too much. God had called me to preach. What do you want me to do? Anyhow, so... So the, the reality of the matter is you come into marriage and you, you may have a broken down self-image of who you are and you may feel like you have no self-worth, no value to God or anybody else. 
you have a mate, oh, that will just not be so self-centered as to look for flaws, to ridicule, but will say, I am so blessed by you. It can totally change your self-image. On the other hand, if you come in scarred and you've got somebody that just adds to the scarring, you can destroy a human being just simply with words. You can beat them down, strip from them the very spirit that, 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 that they should live by, and, and you can bring them absolutely to the bottom of the barrel. So now let me tie this up. I want you to, don't lose me now. Please don't tune me out. I've said this before. God gave us the harder assignment. He comes to me and says, Dean, submit. I, I can do that. You know why? My daddy, World War II veteran. He taught me as a boy that a man does what he's told to do. So men, men in their exceptions, but men are inherently wired for charge. Women are inherently wired for nurture, love, compassion, and genteelness. They're exceptions. But, but for the most part, that's it. So for God to say to the woman, I want you to love, the woman would say, that's not a big deal. For the man, I want you to submit. The man would say, okay, I can do that. God didn't do that. He said, I'm going to reverse this. Ma'am, I want you to submit, and sir, I want you to love. Well, loving somebody else isn't natural to me because Dean loves Dean. Okay? You know who I want to be happy? Me. And in the first part of my marriage, the first part of my marriage, I was so stuck on who I was that, that I overlooked the small things, just the small things that, that Susie did that made me happy, I wasn't really appreciative of them. You know why? Because I wasn't mature. Box of dirt. Don't forget that illustration. And so here I was overlooking all of the things that she did because they were small. She irons every shirt. People say, your wife irons your shirts? Yeah, aren't you jealous? Oh, no. I don't iron my own shirt. No, she irons all my shirts. Every shirt I wear, she irons it. Every one of them. I go to the kitchen, and I'm going to make a sandwich. You know what she does? She walks in, and she says, I'll make it. No, I'm okay. I'll make it. No, she says, I'll make it. You, you know what that is? That's her way of saying, I, I love you for who you are. The reality of, of the matter is, is so oftentimes... We fail at our assignment because we want to live the other person's assignment. The greatest act of love, now listen carefully and I'm going to close. Here's the greatest act of love is to fulfill the harder assignment. If you do the easy thing, that's not, it's not a big deal. For Susie to love, okay, that's pretty natural for but when she says, Dean, I'll follow you, you know what she's saying to me? I trust you. I believe in you. I believe that you will not lead me any place that God has not led you. The greatest thing she's ever done for me is, 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 is not all of the 
love things. It's when she says to me, however and wherever and whatever God does for you, I'm with you. We're in Georgia. We've got a paycheck coming. We've got a church. We're secure. And I told her, God's calling me to Idaho. This is what she said to me, first thing out of her mouth. Wherever God leads you, I'll follow. That's the greatest gift she ever gave me. Because she took her assignment, which was the harder for her. Why would she put her life, why would she put her life at risk with mine? No, she said, Dean, I believe that you will follow God. I'll follow you. I'm a selfish person. We all are created that way. We come into the world demanding. So when I put my needs above her needs, I'm being selfish. When I put her needs above my needs, I'm showing love. So what she needs from me is is my love to give her security, to care about what she cares about, to, to watch out for her and provide for her. That's where she gets her security from. So the greatest love you'll ever show your mate is to fulfill the assignment. So, so we get down, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That's not this kind of thing. That's a thing of the heart. Husbands, love your wives. That was radical in this day. Quit being selfish. That's not a forced thing. It's that I get to love my wife. And I should love my wife. So it's a powerful affirmation. And it preserves trust. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm a sinner, flawed, weak. But this is one thing I know. I know know this for a fact. I know that she believes in me. That's the greatest gift she's ever given me. And I, I hope that she could say, it's more than words, and I say it all the time, but I hope that she can say, the one thing I know in life, I know that there is a person who absolutely, unreservedly loves me, and that's my husband. I want that for my life, and I sure want it for your life, and it's the way it should be. It's the reality of marriage. We've got to take the mask off. We've got to be real. We've got to be authentic. We have to help each other, submit to each other, trust each other, and, and fulfill our assignments to each other because God knows what's best. Let's bow our heads, could we? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know how God's dealt with your heart, but I want to just tell you, your marriage, God wants your marriage happy. Not perfect, happy. happy I think back to the early years of my marriage when I was struggling to become and find who God wanted me to be I had to grow up I had to mature I was too immature too immature to be the kind of person Susie needed me to be too immature to be the man that God wanted me to be 
to it mature. Had to grow up. I hope we'll all do that. Face our responsibilities to follow and to love. Fulfill our assignments that God has given us. Father, thank you for this day and your word. I'm reminded, Lord, that you knew exactly what you were doing when you gave us the assignment for each one of us. And if we fulfill that, God, then we've done our part to make our marriage what it should be. We all need to grow more, myself included. So bless our homes, bless our families. Lord, use us, give us grace and strength to be authentic and honest, to help each other become the people that you want us to be. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.